You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Psalms. The wrath of God came against them and slew the stoutest of them and struck down the choice men of Israel. Now you would think that if you witness this happening, it would have an impact on you. You would think that it would bring about repentance, right? Well, verse 32, in spite of this, they still sinned. With the amount of horrors and atrocities we regularly read about in the news, one would think we actually comprehend how wicked the heart is. However, as Pastor J.D. reflects in his consideration of the Psalms, even those who witness God's miracles firsthand can still harden their hearts. In today's study, you'll learn more about the rebellious heart of Israel. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. in Psalms chapter 78 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. All right, so I need to, this is one of those Psalms that needs a preface, an introduction of sorts for a couple of reasons, one of which is that it is the second longest Psalm in the book of Psalms. The longest Psalm is Psalm 119. And it's a psalm that is all about the Word of God. And Psalm 78 is the second longest psalm in the book. I believe that the length of this psalm speaks to the strength of this psalm, if I can say it like that. And this because it's concerning the next generation learning from the previous learning from their mistakes, the mistakes of their forefathers, of which there were many, hence the length of the psalm. What we're about to see and read here is a very long list of the goodness and the faithfulness of God and the response on the part of the Israelites when God was always so faithful. So it's a psalm of Asaph. We're told it's another contemplation of Asaph. Verse 1, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old which, verse 3, we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. Now you have to understand that how many generations have passed, as now Asaph is penning this psalm, and he's starting off by telling us that this was handed down to them by their forefathers, all the wondrous works of God. So, verse 4, We will not hide them from their children, telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He has done. 
for he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children that the generation, verse 6, to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children, that, verse 7, they may set their hope in God. And I want you to pay particular attention to what we're told next here in verse 7. And not forget, key word, hang on to that. We're going to come back to that. And not forget forget the works of God, but keep His commandments, and may not be like their fathers. Oh, what were their fathers like? (laughs) A stubborn and rebellious generation. A generation that did not set its heart aright, and whose spirit was not faithful to God. The children, verse 9 of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. They did not keep the covenant of God. They refused. This is deliberate. Refuse is a a deliberate word, a deliberate act. They deliberately refused to walk in His law. In other words, they knew what was right, and they chose not to do what was right in the Lord's sight. And here we have it again in verse 11. Pay particular attention. And forget, or forgot, there's that word again, His works and His wonders that He had shown them. Marvelous things, verse 12, He did in the sight of their fathers, in the land of Egypt, in the field of Zoan. He divided the sea, speaking of the Red Sea, and caused them to pass through. And he made the water stand up like a heap. In the daytime also, verse 14, he led them with a cloud, and all the night with a light of fire. These were miraculous and wondrous works that God had done. Verse 15, he split the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink in abundance like the depths. This was not scarce. This was not stingy. God was generous, gave them drink in abundance like the depths. He also, verse 16, brought streams out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. But, verse 17, they sinned even more against Him. How? By rebelling against the Most High in the wilderness and They tested God in their heart by asking for the food of their fancy. This is an interesting account, one that we're going to also talk about. I think it's when we get to about Psalm 106, 107. Yes, verse 19, they spoke against God. What did they say? They said, can God prepare a table in the wilderness? Behold, he struck the rock so that the waters gushed out and the streams overflowed. Can he give bread also? Can he provide meat for his people? You have to understand that this was when God was miraculously providing manna from heaven. 
We'll talk about that more in a moment. In verse 24, and they got tired of it and complained. And they even in their selective memory, if you will, remembered what they ate when they were in Egypt. Oh, the onions and the leeks and oh, the delicacies and really? Are are you kidding me? You were slaves. Hello? What are you talking about? Well, God took this personally. Hope you don't mind me saying it that way. But this is what Asaph means when he says that they spoke against God. This was a slap in the face of Almighty God who had done so much for them, provided miraculously for them. So, verse 21, this might be a little bit uncomfortable, but we're told, therefore the Lord heard this and was furious. So a fire was kindled against Jacob, and anger also came up against Israel. Why? This is interesting, verse 22, because they did not believe in God, and did not trust in his salvation. Yet he had commanded the clouds above, and opened the doors of heaven, had rained down manna on them to eat, and given them of the bread of heaven. Men ate angels' food. This is not the same as angel food cake. Just saying. Angels' food. This is the food of heaven. He sent them food to the full. Verse 26. This is a remembering of that horrific account when God was so aroused in his anger against the Israelites for speaking against him and complaining to him for this manna that he was providing, saying, we want meat to eat. We want flesh to eat. So what does God do? Oh, let's read on. You remember the story, don't you? He caused an east wind to blow in the heavens, and by his power he brought in the south wind. He also rained meat on them like the dust, feathered fowl, quail, like the sand of the seas. And God orchestrated it to where the quail were flying within reach of the Israelites, so that all they had to do is just reach out, and they were so thick, as thick as the sands on the seashore, they could take as many as they wanted. The measurement at that time, as it's recorded, was the first reference that we have in the Word of God to baseball. They're called homers. No, it's, that's what they're called, homers. They're even spelled that way. So anyway, so they brought in as many homers <laughs> of quail as they wanted to their heart's content. And it's very interesting. And again, we'll see this later in the Psalms. He gave them meat to eat, but sent them 
leanness in their souls. In other words, you want flesh? There you go. You want to feed the flesh with flesh? You don't like a representation of the Spirit, this manna that I am providing you? And you want the flesh instead? Here's what's going to happen. And <laughs> we're going to read it. It's pretty graphic because as the meat was in between their teeth, he just struck them dead. Verse 28, and he let them fall in the midst of their camp, all around their dwellings. So they ate and were well filled, for he gave them their own desire. They were not deprived of their craving, but while their food was still in their mouths, the wrath of God came against them and slew the stoutest of them and struck down the choice men of Israel. Now you would think that if you witness this happening, it would have an impact on you. <laughs> you would think that it would bring about repentance, right? Well, verse 32 in spite of this, they still sinned and did not believe in His wondrous works. After all of this, you know, I am struck, and lest we be too hard on the Israelites, I think we would do well to consider what we would have done were we there. Let I me mean, picture the scene. They have just been delivered and were about to have this record also of the plagues in Egypt. But they had just been delivered out of slavery, which is all they had known. Some 400 plus years in slavery in Egypt. In other words, those alive at that time were born into slavery. That's all they knew. They had never known anything outside of slavery in Egypt, and God sends ten plagues. And they witnessed every single one of those plagues, the devastation, the death. And not one of the Israelites were touched by them. And especially that tenth plague with the firstborn, the death of the firstborn son, and that angel of death would pass over them if they had the blood of the lamb that was slain put on the doorposts in the shape of a cross on the door of their house. Then the angel of death would pass over them and they would be saved. That's, we know about that, whenever we partake of communion together. They witnessed all of this. They were there. They smelled it. And by the way, there's a part of the brain. That's why smell is one of the most powerful senses that we have. You can smell something and immediately it goes into that part of the brain and it brings back the memory just from that smell. They lived through it. They beheld it. And then here they are now and they have been delivered from Egypt and they are leaving, we're told hastily, speedily, and they come to the Red Sea. And what do they do? Again, let's not be too hard on them. 
I don't know that we would have been any different than them. But they start complaining. And the way they complained and spoke against God is unthinkable after what God had just done. I mean, they're like, were there not enough graves in Egypt? You had to bring us out here to kill us, really? What are you talking about? And then here, here's, they got the Red Sea in front of them, death. The Egyptians behind them, death. And what does God do? He says, Moses, I want you to take your rod, and I want you to put it out, and watch what I'm going to do. That's a very loose paraphrase of the account, but watch me now. Behold the salvation of the Lord. He parts the Red Sea, as Asaph so eloquently says, so that it stood up like a heap. And they walked on dry ground. As numerous as they were, some estimate in the millions, they walked on dry ground to the other side, and then here's the Egyptians that had been held back by fire until every single one of the Israelites had made it across. And once they did, the fire is brought down and they move forward. And they get into this, the Red Sea, and God says, okay, is everybody in now? And He closes it in, and He drowns the Egyptians. Excuse me, what were you saying about, weren't there not enough graves in Egypt that you had to bring us out here to kill? What was that again? I, I, didn't, I didn't quite hear it in the, all the commotion. Oh, I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry, Lord. This would be a pattern that would repeat itself over and over and over and over and over again. I'm so thankful. I think it's in 2 Timothy. Maybe somebody can refresh my memory. Where Paul writes by the Spirit and says, when... We are faithless. He is still faithful. Aren't you glad (laughs) that when, not if, and we are faithless, that God remains faithful? That's what we're going to see by the time we make it through to the end of this psalm. Therefore, verse 33 Their days he consumed in futility, and this is interesting, and their years in fear. Is not fear the antithesis of faith? Fear is the antithesis, the opposite of faith. And we we just got done being told that they did not believe, they had no faith in God. And so God says, okay, he gives them over to their fear. And the rest of their days are consumed in futility. Verse 34, when he slew them, then they sought him. Oh, sure. And they returned and sought earnestly for God, you think? Then, here's another word I want you to hang on to for a moment. 
They remembered the opposite of forgot. They remembered that God was their rock. The implication being that something else or someone else was instead of their God. And the Most High God, their Redeemer. Notice that's capitalized. Nevertheless, verse 36, they flattered Him with their mouth, and they lied to Him with their tongue, for their heart was not steadfast with Him, nor were they faithful in His covenant. But He, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity, and did not destroy them. Yes, many a time He turned His anger away, and did not stir up all His wrath. For He remembered, there's that word again, verse 39, that they were but flesh. I was just thinking this last week. In fact, I was in my time just talking with the Lord, and He with me. I just said, Lord, thank you that you know that I am dust. I am weak. I am nothing. Apart from you, I can do nothing. I am nothing. I am but dust. A breath that passes away and does not come again. Verse 40, how often they provoked him in the wilderness. I was thinking of it this way, Lord, I, I, I never want to provoke you. What does that mean to provoke him? To provoke him to wrath? To displease him and grieve him in the desert? This has its application in the new covenant as it relates to grieving the Holy Spirit. Keep in mind that we have God the Holy Spirit indwelling us. So we take God the Holy Spirit everywhere we go, into every conversation we have, into everything we watch online, everything we see on the TV. And that's how we can grieve and God forbid, worse yet, infinitely worse, quench the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit is just, no, no. Yes, verse 41, again and again they tempted God. See it this way, tested God, provoked God, pushed God. And this is interesting, limited the Holy One of Israel. There's a lot to learn from the book of Psalms, and we're so glad you've joined us to sift through it all with Pastor J.D. Farag on In Spirit and Truth. The range of emotions expressed in the pages we've been studying give us an accurate and beautiful picture of our Heavenly Father, the almighty and loving creator of the world. Before we end our time with you today, we'd like to share how you can access more of these messages right now. Simply visit InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com and click on Listen to search through our archive of Pastor J.D.'s teachings. You can even take these messages with you on the go with our mobile app. 
Find a link to our app on our website or search for In Spirit and Truth in your app store. This will provide you with hours of insight into the Bible, helpful links, and access to the latest editions of Pastor J.D.'s Mideast Prophecy Update. In these updates, Pastor J.D. takes a critical look at the news and events happening around the globe and compares them to the prophecies of the Bible, sharing God's views on what's taking place. These messages are new each weekend and will help you put world events into an eternal perspective. These Mideast Prophecy Updates are also available to watch on our YouTube channel, which you can access through our website. Again, that address is inspiritandtruthradio.com. Thanks for taking the time to listen to God's Word today. We pray it's blessed and encouraged you greatly. Pastor J.D. will continue studying through the book of Psalms when you join us next time, right here on In Spirit and Truth.